If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Emily O'Connell. Emily's a dressage rider. She's riding small tours at the moment on her off-the-track thoroughbred. She's also a PhD student in equine ethology, and I'm sure we'll be able to talk to her a bit more about that later on in the interview. And Emily's been a groom, a rider, and is currently a disability support worker for a grade one para rider. How are you, Emily? Good, thank you, Gwyneth. Good, good. Emily, we want to start off straight up with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? I do. I have to admit, I'm very fond of words and the meaning behind them. So mm-hmm. I have many quotes and pieces of writing saved good. away from <laughs> different aspects. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, in regards to training animals and dressage, my favourite quote would have to be to use dressage for the horse and not the horse for dressage. That's a good quote. Yeah. yeah. I find it an incredibly important thing for us to keep in the back of our mind, especially as competitive riders, because at the end of the day, you want to be increasing your horse's quality of life, their strength and education through training, not just using them as a way to get where you want to be. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we're attracted to horses. You know, it's sort of like an innate, we just have it. But I think if you always think about why you were attracted to horses in the first place, it does change things. You get up to a certain level and if you keep thinking and keep having the reasons, you know, to do with why you're attracted to horses in the first place in mind and always have that as your first priority, I think that that sort of helps with the same train of thought that you're using there. Exactly. Mm. My experience with my first horse, who's still in our paddock, he's living out his retirement at 29 years of age now he was the one who really sort of resonated that quote in me my parents bought him for me when he was 18 and within about four years we moved from prelim to the FEI classes so medium advanced level and the change I saw in that horse especially at that age that he was at was incredible you know he was at 24 when I retired him he was arguably the fittest and healthiest anybody had ever seen him. Mm. He was better to handle. Um, He's always been a very fretty horse, but he was less nervous, easy to handle. And I felt that his training had really benefited his life, the Mm. use of a better word. Mm -hmm. I guess that's something that I try and keep in the back of my mind now with, with every horse that I work with. Yeah, yeah. It's a good train of thought to have. Now, tell us about how you started with horses. You talked about your first horse, but how did, you know, what were your first memories when you first found horses? So I came from a non-horsey family. So my first memories of horses are probably my weekly riding lessons that I had when I was about eight. 
I had trail rides before then, um, so I do remember on holidays always searching for that closest place that, mm. that had riding available. But it was at eight years of age that I really started to get into it. And, yeah, I think my passion was clear from that young age. I would be ready hours before we needed to leave <laughs> and, you know, I'd either want to go earlier or stay later or both. Mm-hmm. I just spent as much time as I could around them. I've been a sponge, you know, I wanted to find out as much as I could about about horses and about that world. I, I love that when you're on holidays, you're always looking. Everyone else goes on holidays yeah. for certain things, but you, you know, the, just the fact that you want to find somewhere to go go riding while you're on holidays. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, now tell me about then, you know, from the girl who was always looking for riding to go, you know, on holidays, to having a career with horses. Was it always that you wanted to have a career with horses or any particular incident that made you change your mind? I think I've come sort of full circle again. I did a stint overseas as a groom and a rider in 2013. So that was sort of my first look into having that career with horses in that area Mm. but I wasn't sure that that was for me I was coming back to a uni degree so I worked alongside my uni but it was probably early last year when I I graduated from my Bachelor of Science and I'd majored in zoology and marine biology Mm -hmm. so still very animal 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 based science yep and I was looking to go further in one of those areas and then I met Professor Paul McGreevy from the University of Mm -hmm. Sydney and he offered me the opportunity to become a future student of his studying equine ethology, and I couldn't refuse that. I'd always known that the training and understanding of animals was what really interested me, mm-hmm. and his work alongside that of Andrew McLean was always you know, really important to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But until I had that opportunity, I wasn't sure whether my academic life and and my riding life were going to sort of connect in that way. I thought Mm. that they might be quite separate, but it's a great opportunity. So I, yeah, I had to take it up. It's good to have the, you know, as you say, coming full circle and realising that you really can have a career with horses. You really can continue with your study, have a career with horses and, um, yeah, basically have it all, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think if someone wants to work with horses, you know, and lots of people have that when they're younger before they leave school or even once they've left school and even older people, what do you think are the core skills or character traits someone needs to commence that career? I think you have to be extremely Mm open-minded, especially as a young person. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you know it all and you only need a a little glimpse into the horse industry to know that there's so many people out there with so many different areas of expertise Mm. and you have to be open to learning and taking little bits from everybody that you meet and everything that they can teach you about. I think that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I think also working with horses, um, there are probably a few character traits that are really important. You have to be patient and you have to persevere. It's not always easy, especially with horses. I think those things are extremely important, whether whether you want to be working in the industry or just riding and competing yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And just to do with the open-mindedness, and open to learning. You said as a young person, but I think the really good horse people, the people who've had a career with horses, progressed and are really expert in their field, they're still very open-minded. 
you know. So even if they've got a particular niche or area within the horse industry, they're still open to learning from other horse areas. Definitely. Yeah, I've really found that with mm. with the people that I've sort of really admired and looked up to. Yeah. They're usually the people that, that continue learning and, yeah, always striving for knowing more. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the best thing you think about working in the horse industry. There are probably a few really great things. I think working with the horses themselves is probably yes. the best thing. Yep. They teach us so much and I've found that very little of that is actually to do with the horses. They teach you and help you grow as a person. Mm-hmm. I also think being surrounded by people with that same drive and same passion as you. You know, I think horse people, we get given that sort of, you know, we're a little bit crazy um, yeah, but, yeah. but I think it's that passion and drive. We're only crazy to the people that haven't got that interest in horses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so long exactly. as we recognise that, we're all right. Yeah. 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 And what about, you've said before about Paul McGreevy, is there anyone else? And you said about Andrew McLean, they're probably the main two people that you think have influenced you in your career. Yeah. Um, alongside them, probably my parents. Yes. Although I said before, they're not horsey, but they're both teachers mm-hmm. and I've always been surrounded by a family that really values education and learning mm-hmm. and I think that's been really important for me because it's embedded that in me as well. Also my coach, I'm coached by Gita Donvig mm-hmm. and she's an exceptionally open-minded trainer and rider. She definitely showed me the way competitively mm-hmm. and I think my successes lately have, under her guidance have really shown yes. that. yes. Yeah. And I was also very lucky in 2013 to work for uh, Judy Harvey from the UK, uh, David Pincus, he's also in the UK, and I worked for Anki in the Netherlands. Wow, that would have been good, yeah. It was it was amazing, mm. and they all taught me a lot. They're enormous bodies of knowledge in their own, you know, area, and they also showed me the human side of their successes. You know, mm-hmm. I got to meet them as people. And I yep. think that was really, yeah, that really inspired me because when you get to know somebody on that sort of level, you think to yourself, you know, okay, if they did it, <laughs> mm. maybe I can too. Mm. Mm. No, that's good. What about horses? Tell us a bit about the horse you've got now. You've talked a little bit about your first horse. The horse you've got now or any other horses that you think have really influenced you and helped you with your career? Yeah, so I mentioned that he sort of the, showed me the real importance of understanding equine mm. cognition and behaviour. And now I've got another office back horse. So both of my dressage horses have been ex-racing horses. Mm-hmm. And now I have Mike Park Foxtrot, or Shorty as we call him. Mm-hmm. And he's really influenced me in becoming a competitive rider. I was always a very nervous person um, yep. and an extremely nervous rider at competition. And he's taken me from that to a competent FEI competitor. Mm-hmm. I, I now don't have an issue riding in front of anyone at big competitions. I just feel very much the same as I do at home now. Yep. He's taken me to national competitions. I've competed against some of those people who I've admired for years. Yeah, so he's really developed me as a competitor, mm-hmm. yeah, in my riding. and mm-hmm. Yeah, they've both been very special horses. That's good. So what about your proudest moment? What do you think that's been? Recently, I would have to say it was making the Arkin Challenge final mm-hmm. at the Dressage Festival last December. 
Shorty and I had a personal best score in the qualifying round, which was enough for me. You know, I was yeah. ecstatic due to that. <laughs> and then, yeah, due to the like turn of events and, and we made the final and that was incredible. It had been an event that I'd watched from a very young age. Mm. I'd always enjoyed watching people swap horses and mm-hmm. ride each other's horses and it was incredible to be a part of that especially with an off-the-track horse yes. and a horse that might not have always been seen as competitive at that level. Mm-hmm. That was definitely one of my proudest moments. Good, good. So getting to where you are now, you know, especially sort of getting ready to just the preparation to do your PhD, what do you think have been the barriers or the challenges? You know, it could be with your writing, it could be with your research or whatever to get to where you are now. Um. Two things come to mind. One is finding the right balance. Mm-hmm. I've always found that, you know, the struggle. Um, I tend to be an all or nothing person. So, you know, balancing academic study and my riding and competing and, yep. you know, the usual things in life is always a constant challenge. Mm. Also going against the usual grain, I guess, mm-hmm. especially in the horse industry. You know, I've, I'm coming at it from a more academic side. Yep. I have had my experience working within the industry. Mm. But still doing that and, and still competing very well. So it's not like it's only been academic, it's been as a practitioner as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to putting all those things together. As we said, you know, being able to do it all, I think that's extremely important. Mm. I think in terms of science, there's a need for people to study equine ethology and also be within the industry, be competing, be coaching, be Mm. riding, Mm. so that we have those communication channels Mm. for what's being studied and found. I think it's very difficult if you have people studying equine, you know, equine science and equine learning, if they don't ride themselves, it makes it very difficult for people to, to learn from them. I also think, you know, many things in in the horse world have been passed down through generations and we don't question it. Mm-hmm. And I found that I was getting to a point where I was I was always asking why. I wanted to know why horses reacted in a certain way. I wanted to know why my coach was saying something that they were. Mm-hmm. I didn't just accept it. I always wanted the reasoning. And uh, sometimes that's been going against the usual way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So that has is sometimes a challenge, but I believe in it. So I believe in understanding why. So tell us about one of the misconceptions. Tell us something that you see that's been passed down through generations, hasn't been questioned, but is a misconception. Tell us either about that it is a misconception or, you know, that there needs to be more research into that area. Have you got an example? Well, my future research hopefully will be around horses coming out of racing mm-hmm. and their behaviour post-racing career. Yep. And I think that is an area that's often misunderstood. Thoroughbreds get a bad rap for being difficult, mighty, all of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And as horse people, we all know that they're known for that. And I think one of the misunderstandings is that people are looking at just what they're seeing. They're only looking at those behaviours that the horse is showing without thinking about why that horse is showing those behaviours. Mm-hmm. You know, a horse is a prey animal. All horses come from 
sort of that basis. So they do have a flight response. But when you're looking at a racehorse, they've been trained for hundreds of years from that extreme flight response. That's what makes them so great mm. at racing. And we have to be understanding of that when you take them out of that situation and into other disciplines where that flight response is not, not always wanted and how we can sort of disable or diffuse that response <laughs> in other situations through cues or aids that they become very, you know, you can get a good response by using that cue and then you can use that in other situations to disable that flight response when something scares them. Yep. And I think that that's something that's not always thought about and there is a lot more than a lot more research that needs to be done on, mm-hmm. on their behaviour and how we can best retrain them from the racing industry. Well, hopefully you'll be instrumental then in providing, <laughs> I suppose, good homes for, you know, for, and good competition homes for a lot of ex-race horses, you know, because there's got to be, when horses have finished racing, there's still got to be a need for them because they finish racing quite young and they can be, even though they may not be fast enough for the track, they can be young enough and sound enough to have another career. So hopefully that'll dispel some of the misconceptions with the research that you're doing there. Exactly, exactly. They're very talented horses in, mm-hmm. in a lot of disciplines and um yeah, we just want to benefit the majority of them coming yep. out of that. Yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website, horsechats.com. Now, what about, you know, this is to complement the listeners learning. Have you got a book that you'd like to recommend? Yes, the two books mm-hmm. written by Dr. Inga Wolfram from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. She's written two books, The Science of Equestrian Sport and Perfect Mind, Perfect Ride. Both are sports psychology books with a focus on equestrian sport. And I had the benefit of getting to know Inga quite well as I leased one of her horses when I was based at Anki. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, she's an amazing woman, a wonderful writer, and I found her books to be that perfect mix of science, humour and the reality of of what we do with horses. Um, So I think they're beneficial for all riders and, uh, yeah, definitely give them a read if you haven't already. Yep, yep. All right, now you said you're looking forward to going on, you know, expanding your knowledge into re-educating thoroughbreds and what they can do and to do your PhD. Is there anything else that's on the horizon? You've got your other horse that you're doing small tour at the moment. What else are you looking forward to? to taking him on? Are they the two main main things that you're working on now? Yeah, developing myself as a, as a researcher and also as a writer. Mm, mm. I'm still quite young in the FBI world. You know, mm. I've only had one horse at this level. So I'm looking forward to yeah continuing that journey with him and starting a journey with hopefully a young horse, which will be a completely new challenge for me. And also I'm hoping to start up my own business of just incorporating all of those things, you know, my my riding and my coaching and my research all into sort of one venture. Good, good. 
And and also too, you know, the challenge that you found about, you know, finding the right balance, you know, the fact that you've been able to find that right balance, hopefully it's inspired people to also find a balance, you know, because it is, you know, sometimes people don't go and work and even people that do go and work full time with horses, you out there coaching all day, you may not have time to ride and compete your own horses. It's finding the balance, isn't it? And And I think looking back at why we do this in the first place. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Now, Emily, can you sum up your philosophy into a few sentences just to um, give us a lesson today to take away? <laughs> okay. Probably that increasing our understanding of how things work and why they work in that way, um, that it doesn't lessen the beauty of what we're looking at, of what is happening. I think that's something that really needs to be highlighted when you think of animal cognition and learning. Mm -hmm. That just because we expand our knowledge to understand how everything's working in the animal's mind and and why they work in the way that they do, it doesn't make it any less incredible, you know, working with that animal. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away the magic. Yep, yep. Okay, now, Emily, if people need to contact you, have you got contact details available or...? They'll be on the website anyway, so they'll still be on on horsechats.com slash Emily O'Connell or horsechats.com slash Emily. But if someone's got their pen and paper out now, what have you got? Well, if all goes well, my new Mm. business website will be online in a few weeks. Otherwise, through my Facebook page, O'Connell Academic Dressage. Mm -hmm. That is my new business venture. So probably the best way to contact me is through there. What about the website? What's that called? That will be O'ConnellAcademicDressage.com. Perfect. All right, thanks very much for talking to us, Emily. It's been very good, you know, finding the balance between that education, the riding, the competing, and, and you're sort of doing well. And I think if you can keep taking that forward, I think you'll benefit and the horse world will benefit as well. Thank you very much, Glennis. Okay, bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 